For those of you who uh, maybe uh, are here out of camp for the first time this, this Sunday or uh, who missed the announcement that we shared last week in church, uh, we did something really uh, unique, although maybe it won't be unique in the future. We'll see if we do this again. But we've been studying one passage of scripture together in the three sessions that we've done so far this, this weekend. So Friday night and then, and then Saturday morning, Saturday evening. And we've been studying Proverbs chapter 9, which was just the next passage that we were going to get to as we, as we walk through the Bible um, and, and start our series in the second half of the book of Proverbs. And we studied this passage together. And part of the goal of doing this this weekend was to help train and help equip you to study the Bible, to study God's word on your own. And, and you know that that's a part of our heartbeat as a church. And that's the, not just our heartbeat. That's, that's the heartbeat God has given us. Uh, that, that he is given to the church, uh, pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So we want to equip you to be disciple makers, who, disciples who, who make disciples. And one of the most important ways of doing that is by being able to study, read God's word, know what it says, and be able to help others understand what it means for them. And for you to be able to do that for yourself. And so that's what we wanted to teach and, and help you understand um, over the course of this weekend. So uh, we want to do this with you so that you can do it with others. Now what we've done so far is we spent one session on observation, which is answering the question, what does it... It's still camp, folks. You can, you can respond a little bit. What does it say? When we do observation, we're asking the question, what does it say? What does this part of God's word say? Uh, and we want to do that carefully. We don't want to assume we know what it says just by reading it quickly. So we carefully want to observe. Then the next step is interpretation, which means what does it, what does it mean? Okay, we know what it says. What does it mean? And we spent a whole session going over that. And we could have gone longer in each of these sessions. You know, there's, there's so much here. And then the final session last night was what does it mean for us, right? What does it mean for us? Now, what, what does this now have to say for you and I living in the year 2022? What are we going to do with this now? How are we going to respond to God's word? And I would say that though there's different ways of describing it. Anytime that we study the Bible, if we take one of those steps out, it, 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 it can be really dangerous. If we just observe and interpret, but we don't apply, well, we haven't really done our job, right? Because God's word isn't just a nice book to understand. It's been given to us that we might live by it. If we just interpret and observe, sorry, if we just interpret and apply and haven't observed carefully, well, maybe we miss some really important things that the Bible actually says. And of course, if we interpret, uh, if we don't interpret, we just go from observing right into applying and we don't think carefully about what it means, again, we're going to miss some important things there. So all three of these are important steps um, that help us to... Uh, to understand what's going on, and that's what we wanted to teach this morning. So today, what I'm preaching is just the result of what we did together over this weekend. So it's not going to be quite as uh, fine-tuned as a normal Sunday morning sermon. I don't have a full manuscript, which I usually preach from, uh, but I think it fits the camp environment, and I think it's, it, it's a good experience for you to see how Bible study turns into a sermon and how a sermon adds a fourth element, which is exhortation, or, or which, again, these are all big words. It just means urging you to actually do what, what the application part says. So here's how we, how we, what does it mean for us as we apply it? 
exhortation says, no, do it. And that's what we get to uh, look at together this morning. So let's, uh, with that sort of introduction to the whole idea out of the way, let's think about Proverbs 9. And what I want to ask is if you've ever had an experience where you've been in uh, perhaps a marketplace in another country, perhaps uh, a carnival, not like the awesome carnival we had out here yesterday, but maybe a, a carnival or, or a, uh, an exhibition where you've had all kinds of people around that are trying to sell you things and they're all calling out loudly saying, hey, come over here, come over here, look what I got over here. And then someone over there saying, no, no, look what I got over here. So would you buy this? Would you buy this? Would you buy this? We see these kinds of things in other, other countries where um, instead of malls, they have these marketplaces and you got this whole clamor of all these different people calling out, calling for your attention, wanting you to come buy what, what they are, are selling you. That's kind of the situation that Solomon's picturing in Proverbs chapter 9 as he writes to his son. Summing up the whole first eight chapters of Proverbs, Solomon knows that his son and his, and his readers are going to have this experience in real life. As they go through life, they're going to have voices, real or, or um, in, other, in other formats, voices calling out to them, telling them to do things and to live in ways that are, on the one hand, wise and godly and righteous, and on the other hand, foolish and destructive. And so he knows as well that both of these sets of voices are going to sound really good at the time. Wisdom is going to sound okay. Foolishness sometimes actually is going to sound better. And so he wants his son to be able to tell the difference as he goes through life, to be able to tell the difference between wisdom and folly, and to be able to know why he should pick one instead of the other. And so he writes this chapter to help his son, again, know the difference between wisdom and folly and know why he should always choose wisdom instead of folly. And he does this by describing sort of this town square type environment. And he describes wisdom and folly as if they were two women who are each calling for people to listen to what they have to say. So this is called, does anyone remember the word that's de, that where you take an idea like wisdom and you describe it as if it's a person? What's that? What's the word for that? Anyone remember the word for that? Personify. Personify. Absolutely. Personification, personify. So an example of this is, is the think of the character of Uncle Sam. Okay, there's not a real guy somewhere named Uncle Sam. I mean, I'm sure there is, but not what we think of. That's the, the United States of America embodied in a person, right? So when you see Uncle Sam, you think the United States, right? And in a similar kind of a way, in this chapter, wisdom and folly are personified as two women who are calling in the marketplace in the, at the high place of the town where the people are, wanting to get people to listen to them. And again, so Solomon wants his son to know what's the difference between them and why should you listen to one instead of the other? So let's look at wisdom um, looking in, uh, in chapter 9. Let's look at verses 1 to 3. What do we see here? Well, we see wisdom. She's built her house. She's hewn her seven pillars. So wisdom has worked hard to build a, a beautiful place to live. But it's not just a place for her to live. It's also, and perhaps mainly, a place where she shows hospitality. Because what's verse 2 say? She's slaughtered her beasts She's mixed her wine. She's also set her table. 
So again, slaughtering beasts is not, uh, I mean, that sounds kind of awful in English. Like she just went on a rampage at a zoo and that's not what that's saying. Rather, they didn't have fridges. If you wanted to serve meat, you would go to the pen and you'd pick the fattened calf and you'd kill it and cut it up. And a few hours later, I'm not sure quite how quick. Uh, Tim, you'd be able to tell us how quick you could go from pen to plate. But that's kind of the idea here. And so she's preparing a big feast for people to eat. So wisdom has worked hard to build a house to be hospitable. Um, and, and we see in this her generosity, the generosity of wisdom, that, that wisdom is being offered. And she's not asking people to come and pay money, but there's, a gener- there's generosity here. So who is wisdom's audience? Verse 4. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. So we again see here wisdom's generosity that she's calling for people who aren't wise. She's not saying, uh, I've only got space here for really smart people, really good people. No, she's going to people who lack sense. They're simple. They're not yet wise. But she says, come and enjoy what I've prepared for you. Enjoy the benefits of wisdom. And learn how to be wise. And what, what's her goal here? What's the goal of, of taking what wisdom has to offer? Verse 6. Leave your simple ways and live. So there's this idea here that. I remember someone saying this years ago in a book. That, that God accepts us just the way we are. But he loves us too much to leave us that way. And, and I think there's some truth there. And we see that in what, in what wisdom here is doing. She takes the simple just the way they are. Come on in. But she doesn't want them to stay simple. She wants them to leave their simple ways and to become wise. And so the idea of eating at wisdom's table is, is, is a picture of learning from wisdom how to be wise. Now... The idea that, that has came out as we studied this chapter this, this weekend is that wisdom is not just primarily about having a bunch of facts in your head, not about being smart per se, but wisdom is about knowing how to live well, knowing how to live as God intended us to live, to live a, a, an abundant life. And when I say abundant life, I don't mean that in a prosperity gospel kind of way. If you've been coming to adult Sunday school, you know that that's not true. But the, but the real kind of a life full of generosity towards others, a life of grace, a life that passes on the, the, the spiritual blessings that God has given us, uh, a life that is upright and we could go on. And in many ways, in the rest of this summer, we're going to be fleshing out what that life looks like as we look through the rest of Proverbs. Now, what we have in verses 10 and on down is some of wisdom's teaching. So this is, this is helping us see, as, as the simple come to learn from wisdom, to receive what wisdom has to offer them, what, what, do, they, what do they get? What, what sort of things does wisdom teach them? Well, here we have an example. And in, in some ways, this could be taken as wisdom talking, just her continuing to talk. In other ways, these next verses sum up the whole first eight chapters of Proverbs. And so she says this, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man 
incurs injury. This is one of the markers of someone who's a scoffer. Scoffer is one of the characters in the book of Proverbs. Someone who scoffs. Why would I believe that? That's done. A scoffer, also a wicked man. And if you go to reprove or, or correct that kind of person, how are they going to treat you? Very, very poorly. They're going to go, why are you telling me that? I know everything. Don't talk to me about that. It's not going to go very well. And she's warning you about that. This is how you identify a wicked person or a scoffer. Do not reprove a wicked man or he will hate you. But then she changes the picture and goes on to describe someone who is wise. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. You want to know what a wise person looks like? There's someone that when you correct them, they love you for it. They're not going, why are you telling me that? I know everything. Don't tell me how to live. Don't tell me what to do. That's a, that's a fool. Worse than a fool. That's a wicked person. Someone who cannot accept correction is a wicked person. But if you reprove a wise man, he's going to love you. If you give instruction to a wise man, verse 9, he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. So this is helping us see a few important things here. Is that being a wise person is not about knowing everything. It's not about having it all together and, and having achieved peak wisdom. You might be thinking this morning or throughout this weekend as you hear about a wise person, you might think, well, that's not me. Because I, I know so little. I have so much to go. You know what? That's actually wisdom talking. When you realize how much further you have to go, how little you know, how much further you have to grow, that's what wisdom sounds like. Because wisdom is willing to accept correction and teaching. And wisdom is willing to learn. Wisdom needs it. Wisdom knows that it needs it. And that's, that's the, the picture that we get in these middle verses here from wisdom's teaching. Isn't it very interesting that when wisdom zooms in to give this, and when, when Solomon zooms in to give us this little nugget of, of teaching from wisdom, it has to do with correction and teaching and learning. Because that's, that's in many ways what it's all about, right? That's how we gain wisdom is from others speaking God's truth to us and helping us understand what wisdom looks like in, in, in the practical things in real life. And a wise person receives and listens and grows because they're humble. Wisdom is inseparable from knowing God. It's not just about listening to other people. Wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. And, and that's why wisdom is humble because wisdom knows who God is and how great he is and how small we are. And that's why wisdom is willing to learn and be, accept correction. And we see that in verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Notice the parallelism there. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it says it the same way a second time. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Many times we ask, what is the fear of the Lord? Well, a way that this explains it is the fear of the Lord can, is the knowledge of the Holy One. Fearing God is knowing God. If you know Him, you're going to fear Him because you know how great He is and what He's capable of. You know that the seraphim tremble before Him. And so how great must He be? And so we fear God 
when we know God. And it's a fear that we can't just explain away by using words like respect. Fear means fear. The Bible uses that word on purpose. There is an appropriate amount of what, what, what we can say is being afraid of God. Now, the wonderful thing is that as we know God, this isn't a fear that drives us away from him. It's a fear that causes us to come to him trembling because he's beckoned us to come and he loves us. But I think one of the best places where this has been captured and described for me is in C.S. Lewis's Narnia stories. And the way that he describes Aslan, the way that the children both love him, and yet they're also a little bit afraid. And, and it's, but it's good. It's a good thing. And we could explain that some more. And we'll talk more this summer about the fear of the Lord. But wisdom knows who God is and knows who we are. And so it's willing to learn and to grow, to be taught, to be corrected. What happens to the wise as we keep looking at wisdom's teaching here? Verse 11, for by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. Wisdom is for life. Now, in the covenant that God made through Moses with Israel, as they obeyed God, one of his blessings was a long life. No diseases, no famine, no miscarriages, long, healthy lives. Long, healthy lives. That was a promise for them. And so, if you were wise, which meant you listened to God and you obeyed him so you'd be righteous, you would have a long life. Now, today... We live under the new covenant that Jesus brought when he died on the cross. And there is a sense in which it's still true that generally wisdom often results in some of those, um, some of those uh, results in terms of physical life. And an example, just a silly example would be, you know, if you don't read the manuals on your tools and you use them improperly you might hurt yourself and die. Whereas if you're wise, you're going to be safe and careful, right? So there's some sense in which wisdom generally still leads to life. But we know in the new covenant that God often wills for his children to be weak and to be sick and to die. Look at the way the 12 apostles died as martyrs. We're not promised long and healthy lives on this earth. But what we are promised is something even better, which is eternal life. And we're going to come back to that idea that, um, that by receiving the wisdom of God in the gospel, that results in the longest life of all, which is eternal life. Wisdom, here's the big thing we want to see here, though, right, right away in, in these verses, in verse 11 and 12. Wisdom brings us benefit. Wisdom, like, wisdom is not out to ruin our fun and to make our lives miserable. Wisdom comes and says, come listen to me because of the benefit that's going to come from that. There's so much benefit. There's so much good that comes into our lives. Parents, you know this. As you've tried to plead with your kids to listen to you, and they just think, mom, dad, you just don't want me to have any fun. And you're thinking, no, it's not that way at all. I want you to have life, a rich, full, godly, joyful life. So please listen. That's what wisdom is saying here. That's what Solomon is saying here. That's what God is saying here. So that's what we've seen is wisdom and what she does, her generosity, her kindness, her riches, what she offers. 
and a sampling of her teaching. Now, in verses 13 on down, we hear what Lady Folly has to say. Remember, there's, there's two personifications. There's Lady Wisdom, and now there's, there's the woman Folly. And what we see in verse 13 is that Folly has none of the strength or honor or grace or generosity or hospitality that wisdom has. The woman Folly is loud. She makes her voice known. She's seductive. Uh, so she's, that could suggest just being visually appearing, but also uh, has, could also have the sense of just being extremely simple. She knows nothing. And, and it goes on to say, and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house and takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to all who pass by, who are going straight on the way. So we see, Folly's got none of the good things going for her that wisdom did. So if you were just describing two actual women, who are you, who are you most compelled by so far? Who would you want to spend time with the most? Whose house would you want to go over to a meal for? So this is a part of the point, is to help us see how much more desirable wisdom is than folly. What's the same, though? Well, here's what's the same. Who's folly's audience? Verse 16. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's exactly what wisdom said. Wisdom's calling the simple, so is folly. What's the difference? Wisdom wants to rescue the simple. And help them not be simple. And help them grow in wisdom. Folly wants to turn the simple into something much worse than that. So here's what she says. She wants to turn the simple into the wicked. Because she is encouraging them to sin. Verse 17. Stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. You see the, the, just the major difference here? Lady Wisdom offers a rich feast that says, come, I've given this to you. Lady Folly says, go steal. It's fun. Go on, do it. It'll be fun. Come on. Come on. We've all had real people talk that way to us, right? Come on. Don't be a chicken. Go, go steal it. It'll be fun. It'll taste so good. We asked an interesting question last night. Is Lady Folly lying here? And my answer is that I don't think she is. There is something exciting about doing something bad. There is. Stolen water is sweet. You know, you steal it and you drink it. Oh, it's going to be so fun. But how long is that going to last for? And what are the consequences going to be? Right? Folly wants you to think about what's fun in the moment. If it feels good, do it. But what are the long-term consequences going to be? Well, we don't have to ask too far because verse 18 tells us the consequences of folly, the consequences of doing what, what you want to do are death. Verse 18, but he, the simple, does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. You open up her house and, so to speak, it's full of skeletons. You become a guest of folly and you sign your own death sentence. Folly and sin share a bed. Literally, we could say. 
Uh, one of the things we saw last night, or sorry, yesterday morning, was the ways in which Solomon described folly are very similar to the ways he's described the adulterous woman earlier on in the book of Proverbs. And he's helping us see here that sin and folly and foolishness are, 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 are tightly connected to each other. And folly very often comes uh, from not thinking about the consequences. Right here, he's thinking about stolen water, stolen bread. Earlier on in Proverbs, the fool, the simple person, was thinking about having a good time for an evening with his neighbor's wife and wasn't thinking about everything that was going to happen to him on the other side of that, right? And in many ways, that is the essence of foolishness. Short-term fun and not thinking about long-term consequences. So what's Solomon wanting his son to understand here? He's wanting his son to be able to tell the difference between wisdom and folly. And to understand that wisdom is to be chosen over folly 10 out of 10 times. Don't listen to folly. Not not even 1 out of 10 times. Not even 1 out of 100 times. Folly might be easier. Folly might be easier. Folly might be able to offer 5 minutes of fun. Might be fun, might be easy, but it's deadly. Disobeying God, doing what you want instead of what God wants, might be fun, easy, but it's deadly. Wisdom might feel harder. It's not easy to be taught and corrected. Who enjoys a good correction? I had someone just last week come and sit down with me in my office and say, Chris, can I give you a bit of feedback? What do you think happened to my heart rate? And just how I felt. I kind of tensed up. Like, we don't enjoy that. And yet, by God's grace, he helped me to receive it. And, and I was very grateful for it. And, but anyways, I'm jumping ahead of myself here. But the idea is that growing in wisdom is not an easy process. It's not easy to be taught and corrected. But that is the pathway to life. It's the pathway to joy. Wisdom can sometimes feel intimidating, right? Going to this big meal that this woman's prepared for you, like, you think, me, should I be there? Wow, this, I don't really belong here. It can be easy to say, I'll just go steal some bread. But when we do that, we miss out on so much. Now, these are all the things Solomon wanted his son to know. And in the new covenant that Jesus brought, we know that the ultimate revelation of wisdom is Jesus himself. Like we read earlier this morning from 1 Corinthians 1.24, Christ is the wisdom of God. Jesus is God's wisdom. The words that he spoke, the life that he lived, the person that he is, that is ultimately where God's wisdom is found. The gospel is ultimate wisdom. The promise that comes with the gospel is eternal life. And so that's why Proverbs chapter 9 is ultimately fulfilled in the offer of the gospel. As Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Like wisdom calling, this is Jesus calling to all who are feeling the burden and the weight of their sin to come to him and to receive the rich meal that he's prepared. A banquet feast that stretches into eternity and leads to eternal life. And yet how many turn aside from that and aren't interested in that because what folly is offering them feels that much more desirable at the time. But just think, 
The wages of sin is death. Just like we see here, the wages of foolishness and folly is death. Not listening to Jesus, doing what we want instead of what he wants, is the way to death. But the gift of God, the gift, think of the gift in terms of this banquet feast wisdom is prepared here. Think of the gift in terms of everything Jesus died to give us and promised and has offered us. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Proverbs 9 ultimately fulfilled in Jesus who offers us a rich and an abundant life starting today and carrying on through eternity. So what about us? Do wisdom and folly still call us today? You bet they do. We talked about this last night and we saw the different ways that wisdom and folly call you and I today. Not much has changed since Solomon's day. Just the, diff- the formats have changed. Wisdom calls to us in godly parents instructing their children. Wisdom calls to us from the, directly from the pages of God's word as we read it and, and grow in our understanding of it. Wisdom comes as God's word is preached to us. Wisdom comes from reading good books that help us to grow in our understanding Wisdom can come through biblical education. Wisdom can come from mentors and other godly people in our life who speak the truth to us and to whom we listen. Wisdom comes as the body of Christ speaks the truth in love to one another, as Ephesians 4 talks about. That's ultimately how, the, how we grow in maturity as a church, is by speaking the truth in love to one another. And of course, that truth ultimately all comes from God's word. But God has ordained that maturity comes as as his word comes to us through the mouths of his people. And we grow together and we minister the word to each other. The ministry of the word in the local church is not just what's happening right now. This is one aspect of the ministry of the word. But there's so much else of the ministry of the word, which is us speaking the truth in love to one another. And in all of those ways, wisdom calls Wisdom is calling you, even this morning, throughout your life. Wisdom is calling you saying, listen to me and live. Does folly also call us? You better believe it. Folly calls to us in the media. Movies, TV, music, full of messages that are foolish and deadly. Ministry calls to, uh, foolishness calls to us in Social media, someone suggested last night. Open up your phone and start scrolling. How many seconds is it going to take before something foolish is bombarding you? Wisdom comes to, or foolishness comes to us through foolish people. Through the wrong kinds of friends, the wrong kinds of people who encourage us in the ways that foolishness encourages. Ah, come on, it'll be fun, do it. Foolishness comes to us through advertising and marketing and Things that call us to materialism. Wisdom comes to us through ungodly education in in different forms in which that takes. In which messages are promoted and taught that are so out of step with what God has had to say. So as we think about what this passage has to say to us. One of the big questions is, are you recognizing that both wisdom and folly are calling to you? And can you tell them apart? Can you tell the difference between foolishness and wisdom? 
Are you listening and responding to wisdom and not to folly? And there's all sorts of ways that we could talk about specifically what that looks like. But remember what our passage has to say. And this is where we're going to zoom in here. What our passage tells us is that that nice edge where you can really see the difference between folly and wisdom is how do you respond when, when you are taught, specifically when you are corrected? How do you respond? Because that's what listening to wisdom and becoming wise entails. Accepting reproof, which has to do with correction, and loving it. When it happens. So when you hear things, whether it's from a brother, sister in Christ, whether it's from the pulpit, whether it's from the pages of God's word that tell you that you're wrong and you need to change. How do you respond? That's that's the knife's edge of wisdom or folly. Doesn't mean we listen to everything that everybody says. That's foolish. But do you have an inclination that says, if a wise person, if God's word, if something that I can verify by God's word has come to me and corrected me, I want that. I want to listen. I want to respond. I want to grow. I don't want to think that I know everything. I want that. That's, that's where wisdom shows up. We as Christians should have an easy time with this. Because we've believed the gospel. And the gospel, we've seen already, is the ultimate offer of wisdom. It's also the ultimate reproof. Think of what the gospel tells us. We're wrong. We're bad. We're so bad, we deserve God's judgment forever. We're so, we're so messed up. And we need to not just add God to our life, but we need to repent and change our life entirely by turning away from our sin and saying yes to Jesus. That's the ultimate reproof, right? That's the ultimate, you need to change. And when we have surrendered to Jesus, we've believed in what he's offered us, and when we've repented of our sin, man, that's, that's responding to wisdom. And when we've done that once, we should not have a hard time with it when it happens in smaller ways. Think of what the gospel tells you about yourself. This is a bit of review from from what we looked at on Good Friday and hopefully it's review from what we talk about all the time. The gospel tells you that you are so wrong, were, that, that you were so bad that God had to send his son Jesus to be tortured on a cross in order to take away your sin and to save you. If he could have done it any other way, he would have. But that's who you are apart from God's grace. That's who all of us are. You know, on the surface, we can make ourselves look different scales. But in God's books, we are all so sinful. And yet, what does the gospel tell you about yourself? It tells you how loved you are. Because when we receive the gospel, we come to believe that, yes, Jesus had to do that to save me. But He did that to save me. He wanted to. He laid his life down for his sheep. And and by faith, we realize I'm one of those sheep. Jesus, Jesus died for me. Jesus laid his life down for his bride. And he's made me a part of his bride. And so he did that for me. God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So 
I've already, if you believe the gospel, you've already faced just how despicable you are apart from God's grace. And you've already embraced just how incredibly loved you are within God's grace and how God has adopted you and made you his child and has given you eternal life. So what do you have to lose? When someone comes and says, the the way that you made that decision or the way that you said that or maybe this, do you think that maybe needs to change? Why in the world would we get all defensive? What do we have to pretend? We know who we are. We know who we are. We know that we need all the growth and correction and we know that we don't have it all together. We know that God has put us in the body of Christ so that we might grow to become more like his son Jesus. We know that people speaking the truth in love to us is one of the ways that he does that. And we know that no one's opinion of us can take away the fact that that the Father has welcomed us into his family. So do you see how the wisdom of the gospel prepares our hearts to receive the wisdom that comes to us through the body of Christ. It cultivates humility. It shatters the illusion that we've got it all together and no one can tell us anything. And it makes us humble. So let me ask, as we think about this knife's edge of wisdom and and folly in Proverbs chapter 9, are you the kind of person that people are afraid to correct because they're afraid of how you're going to respond? Or are you the kind of person that someone is happy to come and say, brother, sister, can I show you something? Can we talk about this? Because they know that you're just going to say, thank you for loving me enough to, to have this conversation with me. And if you're that kind of person that people are afraid to correct, is there a chance it's because you've forgotten the gospel? You've forgotten who you are? You've forgotten who your savior is? You've forgotten that we're all standing on level ground at the foot of the cross? And is there a chance that the gospel might lead you into wisdom through the wisdom of the gospel itself? And then by cultivating a humble heart that says, Lord, what do do I have but what you've given me? So I'll receive whatever you want to offer me through your people. That's why we're going to end this morning by singing the song, Just As I Am. This is a song that has often in some context been abused by being repeated endlessly at altar calls. But we're not going to do that this morning. We're just, just sing these words. Just think about what these words say about who we are before God who we are according to the gospel. And the more that we rub this truth into our souls and soak it in, the more humble we will be, the more willing to grow and learn and be corrected we will be, and the more we will grow in wisdom. So this gets all really specific, folks, because God's plan, we're going to end here on this thought, God's plan for the church is that we speak the truth in love to each other all the time, in small groups, in mentoring relationships, in coffees, in one-on-ones, in, from the pulpit, in, in homes, as we gather around tables, in all kinds of ways. And much of the time, that word is not just going to be, hey, you're doing awesome. I mean, yeah, we need encouragement. But much of the time, the growth comes from people calling us to take a step for, in further obedience to Jesus, in further faith to Jesus, closer to Jesus. Will we be a community that is both humble to receive that and courageous to offer it 
because we've been profoundly shaped by the gospel? Or will we be a community that just keeps things all on the surface and never really talks about stuff because that might offend them and, and then we never really go anywhere together and we just stay shallow and sort of happy? Think of the joy that's offered to us in wisdom. And may we seek to do this. And, and I could get even more specific here, but about how, how do we actually internalize and, 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 and get the gospel into our hearts? And, and there, I think you're not going to be surprised to hear me say this. Read, read God's word thoughtfully and often and think about what it says about you and what it says about everybody else and what it says about God and ask his Holy Spirit to keep you in that spot where you're always just saying, Lord, I, I come to you with nothing except that you died for me and you called me to you. And that's all I've got. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the joy of getting to study Proverbs chapter 9 together this weekend and to see it in one shape or another come together this morning as a big picture. And, and Lord, there's so much more that we could say thank you that your word is 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 bottomless, that we could come back next weekend and see new glories and and and, and things that, that we didn't see. But for what we have seen this weekend, would you help us to respond with faith? Would you help us to respond with trust and with obedience? And Father, I pray that, that all of us here, from children all, all up to adults and seniors, that you would help us to have humble hearts shaped by what you did for us on the cross, Lord Jesus. May the May the message of the cross keep us so aware of who we are apart from you and so aware of who we are in you. Thank you for showering blessings on us in Jesus Christ, the Father. And may we be a community that is that joyfully speaks the truth in love to one another, helping each other grow up in maturity, shaped by wisdom, shaped by the gospel. And I pray that every day you would help us to come to you the way that we're about to sing in this song. Bringing nothing but what you've given. We praise you for your grace and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.